You guys are really good secret keepers. <laughs> in fact, it's got me a little scared because if I ever get voted off the island, I'm going to be last to know. So, wow, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I remember getting back in on Saturday, and I think I told you, know, told you guys this. We, our family got back from our vacation on a Saturday, and our girls wanted to come to church. And we said, no, we told them we were going to take two weeks off. And they said, come on. They got mad at us. And so we almost, almost came, you know, so uh, thanks for, uh, th- thanks for keeping the surprise and, and all that. Thank you so much. Well, my name is Chris, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and, uh, and I'm a child of the 80s. Go 80s. Yeah, uh-huh. Fashion in the 80s, not, you know, you're not going to see any pictures. Sometimes I bring pictures, no pictures from the 80s. Um, fashion in the 80s, not so good, but we had some memorable media back then including a little movie called Back to the Future. How many have seen or heard of Back to the Future? Oh, yeah. This one came out. You talk about the middle of the 80s. This is middle of the 80s. This is summer, middle of the year, 1985, middle of the 80s. Back to the Future came out. Here's a couple little screenshots here. Maybe some of these look familiar. Well, Back to the Future is this uh, story of two unlikely friends who must complete a seemingly impossible mission before they run out of time. That's what the movie was about, and this movie is going to serve as, as a jumping-off point for a series that we're starting today. But the series we're starting today is not based on history. It is history. This is a true event that are documented in what we call the book of Acts. This is what we're going to look at. We're going to find in the book of Acts some unlikely characters who found themselves thrust into a seemingly impossible mission. Uh, now, I love when, when artists can capture something. And, and I, I referenced this some time ago, this, this little piece of art here. This is a, a pastor who, who also is an artist, and, and he went with the Bible, and he took every book of the Bible, and he made one picture to tell the whole book. And this is how he represented Acts. I love this. You probably can't see from the back there, but there's a little tiny cross here in a little tiny circle. And this is the book of Acts, how a little group of people became a movement that spread throughout the world. That's the book of Acts. And what you see represented is a historical fact. A very small, small, small group of people who claim to have seen a resurrected Jesus of Nazareth became the largest and the most influential movement in history. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back in time a little bit here. First, we're going to go back in time to where we left off on Easter. Here's a passage we left off with in Easter. Now, this is found not from the book of Acts, but it's the same author. This is found in what's called the book of Luke. Luke is the prequel to the sequel. Sequel being Acts, prequel is Luke. And here's where we left off on Easter. This is after Jesus died. He rises from the dead. And then he says this. Then Jesus opened their minds to his followers to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name To the nations, beginning where? Jerusalem. Now, this is is a seemingly impossible mission here. Because what just happened in Jerusalem? What happened to Jesus when he tried proclaiming this message? He got killed in Jerusalem. So here are these people. They're supposed to proclaim in Jerusalem the very thing that got Jesus killed. What Jesus said to say is blasphemy to the Jews. What Jesus said to say was looked at as insurrection to the Romans. 
So the prequel ends with a seemingly impossible mission, and then Jesus doubles down in the sequel. That We just showed you how Luke ends. Look at how Acts begins. It begins with this, Acts 1.8. Familiar words to many of us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, starting where? In Jerusalem, and then in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And against all odds, this came to pass. Why can I say this came to pass? Because here we are at the end of the world from Jerusalem and from a lot of other places in the winter. We're at the end of the world here, and we're testifying that Jesus is risen. He is risen. I was hoping someone would come through. He's risen indeed. In my little pastor head, I thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool? All right. The... Sometimes I'm really easy to please. All right. The, um, the, the chart, now I just showed you here, this is one way to represent what happened. This is one way to represent how this little tiny movement became this big movement. I want to show you another way to visually do this. And many of you have probably seen this if you've taken some Bible classes before. What, what I have up here is this is Luke, this is Acts. And I'm not an English guy, but is this called chiastic when things do this? It is. We've got one person saying, all right. Here's, here's what we got. I know you won't be able to see the words here, but hopefully you can see these big arrows, arrows that are coming in and then arrows that are going out. This is the book of Luke. You've got Jesus born in the context of a big world history, and they specifically single out the Romans. In the days of Caesar Augustus, we read at the beginning of Luke. Then you've got this movement that we described on Palm Sunday. We talked about this movement. Jesus starts heading. He sets his face towards Jerusalem. And so he's in Galilee. Then he works his way into Samaria and Judea. And then he gets to Jerusalem. And then there's the event, the cross, the empty tomb. And it happens in Jerusalem. Now the book of Acts picks up. And where does it begin? In Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, it now starts to spread out. And it spreads to Judea and Samaria, then throughout the Gentile world. And the book of Acts ends with Paul where? In Rome. Starts with a big picture context, moves into this point, Jerusalem, then goes out to the rest of the world. Regardless of how you illustrate it, there's a question that remains. How did this happen? How did this seemingly impossible mission come to pass? How did such a tiny, tiny movement defy the odds and then forever change the world? What we're going to look at this week and the next two is that they did it together. That's how they did it. They did it together. It was fishermen teaming up with Pharisees. It was former demoniacs ministering with priests. It was zealots forming ranks with Roman centurions. It was doctors working side by side with tax collectors. It was Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans and Ethiopians and Hellenists and Herodians. It was men and women. It was young and old. They were all laying down their personal agendas and they were coming around one agenda and that was God's agenda. The mission of Jesus Christ. And they allowed the Holy Spirit to infuse them and unite them into communities of faith. And everywhere that this good news traveled, everywhere it went, they planted churches. These little communities of faith formed. And these little communities of faith forever changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to encourage you to take a moment and write this down. This is something that originated with a pastor named Bill Hybels, and he, it, it, it's so true. There is nothing like the local church, meaning a local community of faith. There's nothing like one of these communities of faith when the local church is working right. Communities of faith, they are God's plan A to reach the world, and there is no plan B. The church is plan A. There is no plan B. I love this quote. This is from a book called When Helping Hurts. Great, great, great book, by the way. They say this about the church. The king of kings is ushering in a kingdom that will bring healing to every last speck of the cosmos. The church is to do what Jesus did, bear witness to the reality of that coming kingdom using both words, and I love this phrase, anticipatory deeds. We're giving the world a picture of what's to come. Isn't that good language? That's what we're about. We're about anticipatory deeds, that they can see on earth what is yet to come. The world had never seen anything like the church before. I want to challenge you. Go, go research history. Social safety nets for the poor and marginalized. Free public education. Health care for those who couldn't afford it. Civil rights for men and women. Outreach to widows and orphans. Ministry to those in prison. Who was at the forefront of every one of those, those movements? Who was it? Churches. Just churches. Well, today, when people look at the church, they don't see that anymore. In fact, there's a growing skepticism in America when it comes to churches. A couple weeks ago, I invited a guy named Mike Brown to come in and meet with our elders and directors. Mike is the director of church planting for our denomination in this region. Mike came in, and we're talking, we're having a conversation, and I think it was Greg that, that, uh, that said, what are some of the challenges that you see facing churches like ours? And he didn't even pull out a list, did he? All this was off the top of his head. He just, boom, off the top of his head. Here's some of the things he said. He goes, in, in Minnesota, there is a high percentage of de-churched adults. What he means by that is almost every adult in, in Minnesota has been to church. But what they saw, they didn't necessarily like. And they became discouraged or disillusioned or disappointed. And so now if they give a church another try, they're coming with a lot of baggage. And because they're discouraged and disillusioned, most of them... Don't bring their kids to church. We also have a consumer culture with competing visions. Everyone has ideas. I want a number five with a happy meal. Hold the whatever, you know. And that's how it should be with church. There's a casual commitment. He said, when people say, yeah, I'm a regular church goer, it means three and eight, you know, at best. All right? Um, then there's all these other things. Religious pluralism and open hostility in many situations towards Christianity. Just put something about Jesus on Facebook, you know. Mistrust and suspicion. Biblical literacy, all these challenges. And you look at a list like this, and you go, how are we supposed to do what Jesus said we're supposed to do? How are we supposed to do what Jesus said to do? Well, let's go back to the book of Acts. And I did. This last week, I went and read through it again from start to finish. We got nothing to complain about, right? Look at what the Holy Spirit overcame through these communities back then. Here's just a sample of some of these things. Good old days. Well, there was open persecution by both the religious establishment and the state. And we're not talking about just some subtle stuff. This is outright persecution, kill you, throw you in jail kind of persecution. The founding leaders, they lost Jesus, at least in bodily form. They lost one of the first 12. They had these seasons of exponential growth. If you've ever tried to lead something through seasons of growth, you got chaos, right? They had new precedences and big ones. Here's a couple other things that the early church faced. 
passionate disagreements. We're going to look at one of those just briefly today. Then you also had, look at this, key leaders in and out of custody. Not once. Look at all those examples. Those are just the ones that I caught my eye. And then there was not only just were the leaders in and out of custody, at least one of them was murdered. A couple of them were murdered. And there was attempted murders of other key leaders. They overcame these things. They overcame it. Our mission's not impossible if we work together. I want to encourage you to take a moment to write this down. Here's another thing for your notes. Nothing will do more to help or hinder our witness than the way we relate to one another. I believe that so deeply. One person going out and saying something, there are, there, we are on information overload, right? One person gets out and says something, we can dismiss that easy. When a whole group of people come together around something sacrificial, something that isn't self-serving, people take note of that. Now, Christianity is a journey. If you haven't seen this yet, you're about to see it now, and you're going to see it more and more and more. We're trying to get some language behind what we're trying to accomplish as a church. And one of them is we want to help people in their relationship with God. There's a whole lot of people who aren't even interested in Christianity. Not even interested. How do we help them become curious? That's their next step. How do we help them become curious? How do we help a curious person say, I'm going to put my full trust on this. I'm going to trust that this Bible really is God's word. I'm going to live according to it. I'm going to trust that Jesus really did die on the cross for my sins, and I'm going to live accordingly. I'm going to put my full trust. What it says, the Bible says, I will do. What, what, what I sense God's saying to do, I'm going to do. All right, that's trusting. And then there's abiding. Abiding. Abiding in Christ. How, how do we get to a place where we can hear that still, small voice of God leading us, guiding us throughout our days? Well, you're not going to get to abiding unless people are going to put their full trust in God. You can't be an abider unless you're able to surrender everything. Like that song we just sang, I, I surrender all to you. Well, who's going to want to surrender all if they're not even curious of whether or not there's anything to this? And how are they going to be curious if they look at churches and what they see makes them go, man, I don't want anything to do with this. And it, and it actually pushes them away rather than draws them in. There's a whole lot of people who can't make that jump from not interested to curious because of what they see when they see churches. Some churches, they might as well take the church name off and just put Fight Club, you know, out there, right? I've been a part of that before. Factions going to war over decisions and doctrines, programs and personalities, music and ministries, carpet color, curriculum content, just going to war. You know, some people see that and they're like, you guys can't even get along on choosing chairs. Are you kidding me? Why should I trust you on Jesus? And then, in other churches, you find this. It looks great on the surface. You don't see fights. But when you get behind the curtain, there's some things that are really disillusioning. Dan was telling me about one of them. And I tell you, this is going to sound like an urban legend. But I went to their website. There, there was, he was telling me about a, a church that had a how-to guide for quote, spontaneous baptisms. So what they were trying to, to accomplish here is they have a big event where all these people just spontaneously come forward, right? Spontaneous baptisms. And they come forward, and there's this miracle that you see as all these people flood forward to be baptized. Well, in their how-to guide, here are some of the things that are in the how-to guide. They, they, they plant volunteers. And they say when the pastor does the countdown, when he gets to zero, you, 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 you all stand up. 
And when you stand up right away, stand up and then make your way down the most visible aisle and take the longest journey you can to get to the front. And then there's some other plants too. As soon as he gets to zero, you stand up and you start clapping and you start cheering for the people that are coming forward. And then, regardless of who gets to the front first, you find the young, energetic people. You get them in the tank first. I'm a pastor, and this is disillusioning to me. So what do people see when they see us? Do they see a fight club? Do they see deception? Do they see spin? Do they see manipulation, hypocrisy? I mean, there's all the individual behaving badly stuff. That's another topic another time. But what do they see when they see us corporately? Do they see people who are falling and we're just doing the best we can, but we're trying to be in this together? Or do they see something else? When they get to know us better, when they peek behind the curtain, when they, get to, to, when they see us out and about shopping in traffic. <laughs> oh, that's the hardest part about having the bumper sticker, ECC bumper sticker, man. I'm just like, oh, okay, you know? And so... All that. What do they see? Does it, does it help or hinder? Does it help or hinder? The Word of God says this. It says we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. God has called us out of darkness into light. Listen to these words. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Well, in the book of Acts, when outsiders looked in, they saw something different. They saw disagreements. They saw all that stuff. They saw chaos but they saw something different. What do they see when they see us? And now I'm talking about us, us. You know, we're going to disagree. The way we disagree, that affects our witness. Everyone in this room has a whole lot going on. The way we prioritize as individuals and as a church, that affects our witness. The way we serve one another, the way we listen to one another, What we do and don't post on Facebook affects our witness. Affects our witness. Parking in the back of the lot, especially on a rainy day, that's evangelism. When you are coming to and from the parking lot picking up trash, that's evangelism. When you you leave one of these little tables here and you clean up the, the mess you leave behind, That's evangelism. A lot of times you don't think of evangelism in these categories. All of that affects our witness. In this culture, I can't think of anything that's going to help someone move from here to here like the way we treat one another. I can't think of anything. Now, our community is a collection of individuals. So with the last few minutes that we have here today, here's what I'd like to do. I want to just show you the difference that one person who's committed to community I want to show you the difference one person can make is that we see in the book of Acts. A guy named Barnabas. We're going to take a look at him. And we're just going to quickly go through the book of Acts. And each time he pops up, let's just see how he responds and see what happens as a result. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab them. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32. I want to let you know, too, that uh, we keep a stack of Bibles here every week, and they're for you. Um, we have them at that table and that table. We encourage you to take one as a gift. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. All right, here we go. This is the book of Acts, pretty early in, chapter 4, starting with verse 32. All, right. All the believers at that time, back in Acts, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions were their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace 
was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, here's the guy we're going to look at. Called him Barnabas, here's why. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. All right, let's take a look at this guy. His given name was Joseph. That was his name, Joseph. But the apostles saw something in Joseph, and they gave him the nickname, Barnabas. What does it mean? Son of encouragement. They said, hey, this guy's an encourager. He's an encourager. So they gave him this name. And it was a crazy time for the church. It was a crazy time. They were growing, and paradigms were constantly changing and adjusting. There were new opportunities. There were new challenges. The apostles were delegating more and more authority to more and more people. So it was crazy, a lot going on. But in the midst of all this going on, they could see this guy, and he's faithful, consistent in his giving, encouraging other people. So they called him Barnabas. Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you a question. What nickname would the apostles give you? If, when they look at it, if you're visiting us from another church, you know, think about how you respond there. What, what nickname would they give you? Would it be encourager? We have a lot of those around here, a lot of them. Would it be faithful? Would it be generous, caring, peacemaker, committed, welcoming, wise, skilled? A lot of those. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to write that down. You won't have to say it out loud. All right, back to Barnabas. Shortly after the count we just read, we just got done reading that. Shortly after that, open persecution breaks out against the church. It is now open season on Christians. A man named Saul is leading the way. Here is the reputation Saul got among Christians. This is, if you're looking in your Bibles, this page ahead, Acts 9.21. Here is the reputation that Saul had. Isn't he the man that raised havoc in where? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he's put, throwing Christians in jail. He's there. The, he is the coat check while they're stoning to death a guy named Stephen. This, this is Saul. He's raising havoc. All right, so that's his reputation. Well, Saul is on his way to a town called Damascus to go raise havoc there, and he has a dramatic con- conversion to Christianity. And as he attempts to convince the Jews in Damascus, hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. What did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. So some friends smuggle Saul out of town. Saul goes back then to Jerusalem. And then he wants to join forces with the church in Jerusalem. Let's see how they respond to that. Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't believe he was really a disciple. But who? Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. We need people like Barnabas here, don't we? Because every person that comes into this room has a past. We all have a past. And we need a person like Barnabas who can listen, hear our story, and say, I'm more excited about what's ahead for you than where you've been. Isn't that a great blessing for a church? No wonder they call him encourager. All right, 
Here's what Luke writes. If we just read a little bit further, Acts 9.31, here's what Luke writes. Here's what, as Luke is narrating this, here's what Luke says happened right after that. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. There is power in unity. Power is unleashed in unity. All right, fast forward. We fast forward to a time where a new community of faith begins to take shape in a city called Antioch. Barnabas. Barnabas starts out as average Joe. Barnabas is faithful in his giving. He's known as an encourager. Church leaders begin to notice, and they say, Barnabas, we want you to step up, and we want to send you to Antioch. We think you're the man. You go to Antioch. You help these people. All right, so here we go, picking up Acts chapter 11. If you're following along, you can turn to Acts 11, uh, 23 through 26. When Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw the grace of God, what it had done, he was glad, and what did that encourager do? He encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's helping them, moving here, with all their hearts. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Taurus to look for who? Saul. He says, I need some help here. So he goes and he gets Saul. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, don't miss the significance of this moment. In the years that follow, Saul will become the greatest missionary of all time. Who invited him on this mission trip? Barnabas invited Saul on this mission trip. What if Saul would have never had a person like Barnabas who believed in him, listened to him, advocated for him, invested in him, and cheered him on? Don't underestimate what happens when you just welcome somebody and hear their story. And when there's discussion going on and if people are like, oh, this person, that, and they can say, no, it's not like that. And he can stand up. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate what can happen when you pour your life into a kid, when you pour your life into a teenager. Don't underestimate what can happen. All of that is evangelism. There's knocking on doors evangelism. There's also just encouraging, welcoming, faithful evangelism. All right, fast forward again. Saul. We're going to look here at Acts 13, 13. At this point, Saul has changed his name to Paul. And Paul is with Barnabas on another trip. This time they're accompanied by a man with, by the name of John. John serves alongside them until Acts 13, 13. Here's what it says in Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions, including Barnabas, Barnabas set sail. And John left them. And John went back where? Jerusalem. Okay, so John goes back to Jerusalem. They continue on. Paul doesn't forget this. Paul doesn't forget this. Time passes. Paul and Barnabas get called back to Jerusalem. There's an issue going on in the church. They get called into it. They solve that issue. The church solves the issue. And then Paul says, let's get back out in the field. Let's go. And so he says this, Acts 15, starting with verse 36. Acts 15, 36. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. Let's visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas says, yeah, and let's take John. Also called Mark with them. Paul didn't think it was wise because he had deserted him. 
and they had a sharp disagreement, so sharp that they parted company. Did the early church disagree on stuff? Yes. Paul disagreed with Barnabas. In fact, Paul disagreed also with Peter on some things. You know, so there is disagreement. How do they resolve this issue? Barnabas says, hey, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. I'm not giving up on John Mark. I still believe in him. So you go. I'm going to take him. We're going to go a different direction here. Well, it's good that Barnabas didn't throw John Mark under the bus because John Mark went on to write a certain ancient document, which we now call the Gospel of Barnabas is connected to both of these things. Here's one man named Joe. Average Joe. That'll preach, huh? Well, that was nice for them to throw me that bone. You know? Here's one man named Joe. Average Joe. He's just committed to his church. When people are giving, he's giving. He earns a nickname. I'm an encourager. Hey, we got a task. All right, I'll step up. I'm in. I'm faithful. And when he sees a need for a welcome committee, he doesn't say, we need a welcome committee. He steps up. And he starts welcoming people. He welcomes a guy named Saul. He welcomes a guy named John Mark. He takes them under his wing. And the, the results are their history. Half of the New Testament can be attributed to, well, mostly to Paul and one to John. One to John Mark. Wow. Power is unleashed when we all do our part came across a great quote this week. Erwin McManus says this about the church. He says, the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church. And we exist for the world. If we embrace that call together, here's what we experience. Let me get a little cheesy with you a little bit. Got to tie in the 80s whenever I can. Our flux capacitor hasn't lost its potential. Back to the future buffs. What's the flux capacitor? What is it? It's the power source. You put a couple things together, and it becomes this power source. That was the flux capacitor. Well, our flux capacitor is the power of God working through communities of faith. You get that stuff together, you got the flux capacitor. Well, is God still God? Yes. Is Jesus still risen? He is risen. Indeed, he is. Nice job, people. The Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit still empower the faithful? Yes. Is the church still plan A? Yes, we got the pieces. We got all the pieces are still there. The power that was available to the church back then is available to us today. One of the things that's always kept people from this and kept them here is when they look at the church people. That's always been the case, and it's certainly the case today. There's a whole lot of people, they say, okay, if Jesus is alive, explain the Crusades or explain my experience. Wouldn't it be great if God did something in us where we could say, you know, I hear you. I've seen that. I've been a part of that. But let me show you my friends down at the community center. Because I hear when you say, if, if Jesus is alive, explain the crusades. But if Jesus is dead, explain what's happening in those lives. Explain how this good news is being proclaimed, how hope is being restored, how the lost are welcomed home, how believers are being challenged, resources are being so well stewarded, strangers are becoming friends, relationships are being reconciled. Those in need find support. Ugly politics find no foothold. 
Singles thrive, families thrive, young people are trained in the way they should go. You think that would help at all? Helping some people maybe make that jump? Well, we can't do that without you. We can't. This is an, we're in this together thing. So as we close today, before I say a final prayer, I'd, I'd like to, um, to encourage you to take out your notes and take a look at four questions. I want to make this as practical as we can. Practical as we can. Here are four questions that could change everything. You know, we can't do this without you. So question number one, have you surrendered your agenda to God's agenda? That isn't code for do you see the way I see things or code for the way the elders see things. That's not it. The way he sees Have you surrendered your agenda to God? Do, will you say to God, God, whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you ask, I'll go. I'll live by your principles. Have you done that? Have you said, it's all yours? Step one. Question one. Question two, what nickname would the apostles have given you? When they look at, at the way you're doing the together thing, what nickname would they give you? Encourager? Would it be skilled? Would it be wise? Peacemaker? Faithful? What, what would they give you? Number three, how are you helping us witness well together? It is a given. We're going to spend, what, four weeks, five weeks on work? We're going to talk about the workplace. Five weeks, I think, we're going to spend on that. We'll talk about how do you do that out wherever God's got you. How are we doing that together? That's what we're looking at this week, next. And then number four, you know, who are you inviting to come and see that things can be different? So I want to give you a minute to just take you and God, write those down, reflect on those questions, and I'll step up and close this in prayer. Is God still God? Jesus still risen? Yes, risen indeed. Is the Holy Spirit still work in and through the faithful? Yes. And is the church still God's plan A? Yes. These are, quite, these are hard questions. They're, they're not softballs. I look at some of these and I look at huge mistakes that I've made. But these could change everything. So I want to encourage you to reflect on these and, and, and allow the Spirit to bring to mind what He would have you do to contribute to what he desires to do. Um, as we close here, I, I got a note from our prayer team that said, hey, today, special invitation, if you've got wrist problems, would you go stop by the prayer team? We'd love to pray for you about that or about anything that, uh, that uh, God would have for you to be praying for. So there will be prayer afterwards if you'd like to go pray uh, there at the prayer uh, where it says prayer. We'd love to have you join us. All right, let me pray for us all as we go our separate ways. Please stand. Let me pray for our, us here. And as you're standing, I want to let you know we're going to pick this up then next week and the week after. Next week, we're going to look specifically at the power that comes when you get diverse people coming together. And then uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about men and women. What could that witness look like if we did that really well together? All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are, are continually inviting us, that you're such an encourager, that you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. We thank you that you are someone who looks at what can be instead of just what was. Thank you for giving us a chance, God, to, to honor you. How crazy is that, that you're entrusting us with something so precious and something so wonderful? So, Father, would you, we pray that, you're, that we would not inhibit the work you want to do. We pray that you allow us to fully surrender our lives so that we can have more of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Lord, we pray that you help us when we get in the midst of an argument to to hit pause and to really listen first. 
and then to respond well and, and, to, and to disagree well. Lord, teach us even what that means. Lord, we thank you for the great work that you're doing here. We thank you for all of the encouragers you've sent our way, all of the caring people you've sent our way, all the faithful people, all the skilled people, all the bold people, all the generous people, all the servant-hearted people, all the compassionate people, all the wise people. Lord, we thank you for them, and, and, and we thank you that you're knitting us together more and more over time. So, Lord, continue to bless us by, by, by helping us become the blessing that you desire us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.